Bloomberg first reported and Axios was able to independently confirm that President Joe Biden in his new White House budget is going to be proposing a number of new taxes. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we will discuss whether they are likely to become a reality. Axios writes the new budget request to Congress set to be released uh, Thursday includes a 25 percent minimum tax on the richest 0.01% of Americans. This is a billionaire tax. It would also increase the top tax rate for those Americans making $400,000 a year up to 39.6% from 37%. That was the rate prior to Trump's 27 tax bill, 2017 tax bill. It would go back to that prior rate. It would raise income levies on corporations and billionaires, and it would set the corporate tax rate at 28%, still below the 35% rate that was in place prior to Trump's 2017 tax law. That is not the only thing that Joe Biden plans to do. He also plans an increased Medicare tax. Remember, when we talk about Social Security and Medicare, sometimes people forget about the Medicare piece. Uh, What Joe Biden wants to do is increase the Medicare tax rate from 3.8 to 5 percent on income exceeding four hundred thousand dollars per year, and it would apply to both salaries as well as capital gains. It would likely increase tax revenues by over one hundred and seventeen billion dollars over 10 years. So about eleven point seven billion a year, according to prior estimates from last month by the Tax Policy Center. So a couple different things. Is Joe Biden sticking to his promise not to increase taxes on people making under four hundred thousand dollars a year? By all reasonable assessments of these proposals, the answer is yes. Joe Biden is not raising taxes on anyone making under 400 K. Secondly, is this likely to pass? And the answer is no. I made this analysis when Donald Trump would release his budgets, and it is the same analysis when Joe Biden releases his budgets. White House budgets are political documents, political documents. You have to get this through the House of Representatives currently controlled by Republicans in order to make it a reality. And so this is a sort of wish list. This is what you could say Joe Biden would do if he could wave a magic wand. And to be totally honest, sometimes presidents include things in White House budgets that they wouldn't actually do if they had full power to do it. They include it in the budget as a signal, a virtue signal, we have to admit, knowing that it's not going to pass. Which category are these proposals under? Well, we don't know because we know that it is a White House budget, which is a political document. So it will be interesting to see, however, are there negotiations to be had where Republicans who control the House would be willing to come to the table on some of these proposals from Joe Biden in exchange for what? Well, we don't really know in exchange for what we will be watching it. But so far, these proposals, as unlikely as they are to become the law, are keeping Joe Biden adhered to the promise he made about Americans making under four hundred thousand dollars per year. The conspiracy theory that has been widely debunked that being near someone vaccinated against covid-19 can do something to you has not gone away. We have another one of these very dangerous clips. This is, by the way, this is Lauren Witzke. Lauren Witzke is not some random person in the sense that she was the Delaware Republican Party's candidate for the Senate in 2020. Thankfully, she lost. 
She is now claiming she became sick after being around someone who had their covid vaccine and she insists she's not crazy. Listen. Yeah. And the shedding is extremely real. That's how I caught whatever it was. And you can't tell me it wasn't a bioweapon because I've had flus before. I've had, you know, tons of stuff wrong with me before. I've never experienced anything like it. It was like in your head. It stole your joy. You couldn't like had zero energy, brain fog. Like it was almost like I was poisoned. It felt like, Um, you know, and, you know, you can't tell me. COVID itself wasn't a bioweapon, but I didn't catch COVID. I campaigned up and down the state of Delaware. She probably had COVID. 2020 during COVID and didn't catch anything. I shook a thousand hands, didn't catch anything. I was around a family member who just got boosted, didn't tell me. I've never been so sick in my life. And it wasn't like sickness. It was like, I don't know how to explain it. But whatever is shedding off of them made me sick. And I've never quite been the same. I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I go back and I watch my interviews from 2019, 20 or 2020. And I'm like, wow, I was a completely different person then. She's still very It's like sharp. I'm stupid. No, really, it did something to me. And you can't tell me it didn't because I know it did. And I'm not crazy. Right. She's definitely not crazy, guys. So listen, the most likely explanation is the simplest, which is she got COVID. She was around someone who had COVID and she got COVID. The entire vaccine shedding thing. We've talked about it before. Okay, the idea of shedding is someone gets vaccinated and then they shed something off of their body. Um, It's not supported by scientific evidence. It's not a real thing. The covid vaccines that are used in the US don't contain any live virus, so you can't shed virus. And the concept of shedding vaccine just doesn't really make any sense. Now, if you're sick with covid, Then you were shedding the virus when you cough and so on and so forth. And it seems that that is probably what happened here. Now, one interesting thing, she says she hasn't been as sharp and whatever. As many of you remember, I got covid in early December. I am experiencing a long covid symptom, which is my sense of smell is diminished. Now, I never lost my sense of smell or taste when I had covid. Um, it, It didn't go away. But it was diminished. And what I realize now is that it is still a diminished sense of smell. And honestly, the the way that I came to realize it is since having covid, I don't notice from just being in a room with my baby daughter that she needs a diaper change. I used to just perceive it from the smell. People are understanding. I think what I'm saying, I don't notice anymore. And my girlfriend will say, does she need a diaper change? And I'll say, oh, I don't know. Does she? Yeah, it stinks in here. I'll go, I genuinely don't notice that I can smell stuff, but it is diminished. And I've read it can be 12 to 18 months. Thankfully, I'm not experiencing the brain fog that Lauren Witzke uh, seems to be struggling with. Hey, this you have to see um, a Fox News guest, Stacey Washington, serious radio host, says that one of the reasons why we are seeing more lawlessness in the United States is that when you go to hotels now, they don't always have those Bibles in the nightstand. That's the introduction. Let's listen to what she said. Will they be? I'll tell you what will happen because it's New York. Unless you basically murder someone, you don't get in trouble here. They're in hoodies. They're in masks. Will we be able to even find out who did this? If we were, they would be either charged as juveniles or they'd be right back out on the streets. That's right. And to Ainsley's point, Stacey, these businesses, they these ones that are open now are the ones that survived COVID. They survived the 
absolutely mind-boggling costs imposed upon them by the government to make sure that they complied with COVID regulations, the decrease in, in, customer, in customers because of the, the lockdown and the pandemic. Now they're finally back on their feet. They're dealing with heightened taxes from this administration. They're dealing with zero foot traffic, massive rent payments because states like this are trying to make up for the lack of revenue and just to get their business destroyed and potentially their livelihood in one five-minute fell swoop. So you see the increase in lawlessness when we take God out of everything. So we're so far down the continuum on that. And, and I'm talking about the fact that if you stay in a hotel anywhere, you can't even find a Bible in the nightstand anymore. Now, admittedly, the Bible is on your it's phone. it's offensive. But it's just a thing that... <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So I have to admit, I am partially to blame for there not being as many Bibles in hotel, hotel nightstands anymore. When I go into a hotel... When I look in the nightstand, if there is a Bible there, I put it out in the hallway like your room service tray that you're done with. I take it. I don't want it in the room. I admit that I do this now. Sometimes I'll put it in the recycling bin, but I my instinct is that the housekeeping staff probably takes it out and puts it back in the nightstand. I don't know, but my move is to take the Bible and to put it in the hallway and then it disappears. I just don't want it in the room with me. Now, what, where did these Bibles come from? This goes back to actually 1899. Um, there's a group called the Gideons International, and it was two traveling salespeople, Samuel Hill and John Nicholson. And they started, you know, they wanted to spread the word of God, I guess, to as many people as possible. They thought hotel rooms are the place because you've got people they're traveling or whatever. They might not have access to a Bible. So you stick a Bible there. And next thing you know, instead of going out and hiring a prostitute or seeking drugs, they'll say, I'm going to stay in and read the Bible and so on and so forth. And so this started uh, sometime between 1899 and 1908. And the Gideons started distributing these. There are other groups that now do it as well. Uh, but Gideons is the big one. So my move is blame me for it. Blame me for the lawlessness. I will if I find one of the Bibles, put it in the hallway. It's not part of the hotel room that I am looking, you know, double vanity, uh, rain shower, uh, shower head, um, free Wi-Fi. I'm right there with you. A couple free Fiji waters. Maybe I love it. I don't need the Bible in the room with me. So I put it out in the hallway. I guess I'm responsible for the crime wave in New York City. Everyone should have a go to financial partner to guide you through a continuous and ever changing life journey. Our sponsor, Facet, can help you not only start that conversation about money, but support you every step of the way. Facet memberships give you unbiased, personalized, affordable financial advice for any financial decision you may be facing, real estate, tax, benefits and equity, whatever the case may be. And they are fee only, as I have always said, one should seek. A facet membership includes a dedicated CFP professional. That's the highest possible certification, plus a team of experts using industry leading investment management strategies based on Nobel Prize winning research. And facet is offering a five hundred dollar kickstart to your financial journey right now. They're waiving their two hundred and fifty dollar enrollment fee for new customers that sign up for an annual membership and offering two hundred and fifty dollars right into your account. If you invest five thousand dollars within the first 90 days of membership, go to facet.com slash Pacman. Take the five minute financial wellness quiz at minimum to unlock insights into your personal finances. 
That's F-A-C-E-T dot com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. Facet Wealth Inc is an SEC registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment legal or tax advice. One of our sponsors today is BetterHelp. Uh, viewers of the show, listeners know I'm a big advocate of therapy. Uh, I think it's important to make it more accessible, remove any stigma that might be associated. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is therapy done entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. I'm a huge believer in talk therapy and BetterHelp is making it more accessible to more people. You can even find a therapist who specializes in certain areas, which maybe you can't find where you are geographically. There are lots of great benefits to doing therapy online. Get it off your chest. Visit BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com slash Pacman show today to get 10 percent off your first month. That's better. H.E.L.P. dot com slash Pacman show. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Leisure of NYC, offering ultra comfortable fair trade men's clothing at fair prices. Guys know it can be very tough to find good boxers and T-shirts. The search is over because all boxer briefs by Leisure of NYC are made with amazingly soft moisture wicking viscose from bamboo, super lightweight like air, but it doesn't bunch up and it's also great for the planet. Leisure of NYC also makes really great Supima cotton crew neck T-shirts. Less than one percent of men's basics today are made with Supima cotton. It is the best out there. It feels like silk, quite frankly. You can walk around in a scratchy T-shirt all day or you can enjoy the cloud soft feel of Supima cotton and actually love the shirt you're wearing. These are my go to T-shirts and boxers. Nothing else even comes close to providing this level of comfort and all of their products are fair trade and made sustainably. Go pick up the most comfortable T-shirts and boxers you will ever own. But hurry, because they often sell out, especially the boxers. Go to davidpackmancom slash NYC and you will get 15 percent off with the code Pacman at checkout. That's davidpackmancom slash NYC code Pacman saves you 15%. The info is in the podcast notes. The David Pakman show, of course, is a community audience supported program. The best way to support the work we do every day is to sign up at joinpacman.com and get yourself a membership. The memberships are cheap. They come with great perks, including the daily bonus show and so many other different things. Uh, and also you can get a discount off of the already unbearably low costs of membership with coupon codes like CPAC trash or 24 starts now or please no more Trump. Please no more Trump. Let's hear from some of the great people in our audience. We do this on our Friday show. 
you can call in through the David Pakman show discord, which, by the way, you should join anyway at davidpackmancom slash discord. Let's start today with Dan from Maryland, Dan from Maryland. Welcome to the program. What is on your mind today? I'd love to hear what uh, what you've you've been thinking about. David, can you hear me? Yes. All right. So you probably heard by now that my mayor was arrested for child pornography. Your mayor? I don't even know what city you live in. College Park, Maryland. Oh, no, I did not hear about the College Park, Maryland mayor. He was arrested by 50 counts of child pornography. Wow. And I am absolutely disgusted and disappointed because, you know, I volunteered for him. I campaign, I voted, and you feel pretty gross, you know, after this happens. But um, my my comment is more of, you know, he is an openly gay man. And I feel like this is kind of feeds, feeds a narrative of, you know, the pedophile, you know, homosexual that preys on children. And I feel like with what's going on with the anti-trans and the drag queen shows and the more of the laws that are happening, I just feel like it's a, I don't know, it's like, it's like a log on the fire, if that makes sense. I totally understand what you're saying. And of course, I mean, as as we know, um, overwhelmingly, the people arrested for child porn uh, are heterosexual. And I don't know of anyone who is saying we have a problem with with heterosexuals as a result of that. And, and one of these things is what people create a narrative and then they look only for examples that confirm it. But this is the first time hearing of that story. It sounds like like he's been charged, but not found guilty at this point in time. That's always important to keep in mind when we talk about these things. But you are without a doubt right that it will be a a, a way to throw a log on the fire. And that's the last thing we need right now. Yeah, because also 12 mayors so far this year have also been arrested for similar um, I guess, actions um, as well. And it's just, I don't know, it's just disappointing that, you know, you live in a city and your mayor gets arrested. <laughs> it's so, yeah. So I just want to say that, you know, I don't really have a co- question. I just wanted to put that out there. But um, I also want to say that I've been a um, longtime listener and I'm glad that you are keep going with the show and you do a great job. Thank you very much, Dan from Maryland. Appreciate the call. You're welcome. Bye bye. All right. There goes Dan. Let's go next to Kevin from I hope I pronounced this correctly. Is it Tequila? It's Tequila. Tequila. OK, what state is that in? Um, it is in uh, Washington state. It's like a 10 miles south from Seattle. All right. Well, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Well, um, it's been a while since we last talked, and um, I I will go to you for um, for, for some uh, really important uh, questions if um, if I don't know the answer to them, and and I have one in particular, and I have a follow up. Okay. So uh, so the question that I have is: Do you feel that the um, Biden's um, green energy plan through the Inflation Reduction Act is um, is like selling the cart before the horse. In what and sense? Like for for instance, um, there is there is the um, the concern that that the 
that these uh, green energy pro projects might not um there's a pro there's a process that makes it so these green energy pro projects are not not um giving and given the the permitting at at the at the pace they should be giving giving their our current um a current system and that's what that's why uh, Senator Manchin introduced permitting reform um there's also the concern that perhaps um like um there's a there's a there's a there's um probably not enough uh, people that can uh, assume that can take on the additional jobs uh, those green energy jobs. oh i see what you're saying no listen I, i'm not concerned by that because sometimes in order to create so you've got to generate if if the government doesn't first fund some of these things the businesses aren't going to start hiring and training the people to do the work because in general, businesses aren't going to say, hey, the government might pass this. So let's like hire and train a whole bunch of people. So I don't see that as a bottleneck. I don't see it as, as a problem. It might serve as a temporary bottleneck. But I think the right way to do it is the government says, hey, we're investing in these industries. Go grow, hire, train people. And there will be a lag time, but that's OK. I see. Um, but do you, but do you do you also feel that that there that there might be um some, I, don't, I don't know some some adi some additional um ways to make the process a little bit more a more more efficient, assume, assuming that there's the dire need to meet the uh, the demand for addressing climate change. I'm sure there are. And whether it's government assisting in the training so that people can be hired more quickly to do some of the jobs for these energy retrofits to move to new renewable technologies, or I'm sure there's a dozen ways to do it. But uh, bottom line, I think the right way is the government says we're investing in this stuff. We're going to get right to it and then uh, figure figure out the rest. Um, all right, Kevin, thank you very much for the call. I do appreciate it. Let's go next to Mike from Massachusetts. Mike from Massachusetts, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Hey, David, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Awesome. Um, so my um, uh, so obviously with everything going on in the country <clears throat> lately, like you know, especially especially on like you know the front of like you know, LGBTQ rights. Well, you know, Tennessee just banned gender affirming care. I think this for minors. I think Mississippi did recently too, or yes. something like that. But um, anyway, there's a lot and plenty of other topics as well. Things just don't look awesome at the moment. Um, so it's you know, I was looking into kind of how in the 2020 election and the 2022 election, it seems that younger voters, particularly Gen Z, as they're becoming a voting age now, seem to be changing the electorate, the face of the electorate. Um, and I came across this, uh, it's not a report, or maybe more of a study from the Brookings Institute that they updated in 2020 that kind of project how, you know, project how, you know, with baby boomers getting older and J and Z getting older and just where the Republican and Democratic Party stand on certain social issues. Yeah. How they project that the electorate is going to change and how various states are going to change political leaning wise. Right. Over the next decade or so. And I know maybe this is a little naive to say, but Dave, even the most conservative friendly model from that report is exceptionally <clears throat> optimistic looking for the Democrats. So 
it's kind of a two-part question. One, do you believe that all these demographic shifts and the, and the continued demographic shifts that a lot of people seem to be portraying coming down the line with Gen Z and the diversification of voters? Yeah. Do you think those are genuine reasons to be optimistic going forward for the next decade or so? You know, I I do think so. But at the same time, it's been 12 years at least of people saying the demographic shifts in Texas are going to make it a red state, a blue state. The demographic shifts in Georgia are going to make it a blue state. And it's like, well, Georgia did vote for some Democratic senators. That's true. But continued uh, Republican governors in Texas. I mean, yes, the 2020 presidential was as close as it has been in decades, but it's definitely not a blue state. So on the one hand, the the predictions and the models seem sound, but I'm also aware that people have been talking about this for 12 years and it hasn't yet happened. So so I I think it's plausible that it will eventually happen, but I don't think it can. It's a strategy for Democrats anytime soon to just rely on demographic changes. No, I understand. And um, I think like, yes, people have definitely been talking about certain states, particularly Texas, shifting from red to blue for quite a while now. Um, It seems like we are kind of finally reaching a point like uh, I guess I would use the term inflection point where, you know, the oldest baby boomers. And I don't mean to be morbid about this, but the oldest baby boomers are only a year or two away from the average life expectancy in this country. Mm. Um, So that voting base is going to start declining. And Gen Z, which is by every poll we can find, overwhelmingly liberal and yeah. progressive. Um, no, I agree. I agree. It's day by day. It's just a matter of when. And so, in the meantime, we've got to do the best we can to win elections the 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 normal ways, which is um, making the right case on issues, doing the campaigning, doing the work, et cetera. But at some point, I see it as hopefully a bonus that is coming, which is the demographic advantages. Oh, absolutely. They definitely need to keep campaigning to win people over. They yeah. can't just rely on these changes, but it will make things easier. And I guess the second part of my question is, if these projections end up being even relatively accurate, I mean, what exactly would be a possible approach for the Republican Party to remain politically relevant? They're because- already doing it. It's just try to steal the elections. I mean, that what that's why they're already doing it. They're already losing on policy with the electorate that we have. And so the the approach is let's make it harder for people to vote. Let's say we won even when we didn't win. Let's look at purging voter rolls. They're doing all that stuff. They're just going to do even more of it. No, 100 percent. It's just I feel like that stuff can only get you so far. Well, we'll see. I mean, let's let let's see. Let's see how far it gets them in 24 and then go from there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Like I said, it was just something that like I came across and I was like, is this too good to be true or is this genuine reason for optimism in the next decade or so? So, you know, I mean, let's just hope that the the, the shifts keep happening and the Democrats keep not completely shooting themselves in the foot. All right, Mike from Massachusetts. Very much well said. Always good to hear from you. Let's go next to. How about Chris from Iowa? Chris from Iowa, what's on your mind today? Hi, David. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Wonderful. So this is a question from a uh, expecting father, myself too, someone who's currently a father. Uh, in today's, you know, what you call golden age of ignorance, um, some advice on how, I mean, I know that your child is very young, but how to uh, 
raise a child with a lot of really poor influences out there when it comes to ignorance. Um, I currently live in Iowa, and right now our state has gotten more and more down that road of ignorance, and uh, it's very concerning. And I know you live in a much more, you know, much more progressive area, but uh, what advice would you have to kind of keep those, you know, ignorant influences away while being aware that they still exist and not being completely shielding from them. So there's a couple different things here. First of all, there are some things where if your child is eventually going to have have access to media or be around other people, be in public, go to public school, et cetera, there there are certain things that you're that are realistically not going to be uh, you're not going to be able to prevent them from seeing and being to some degree influenced by whether you're in a red state or a blue state because of media and what is in media. So first of all, you've got to be realistic. So un- unless you're going completely off the grid in the middle of nowhere um, that, that you can't just kind of protect forever, I don't think that all being said. Um, and this is a really tough thing to even really talk about, but. If it comes down to what's best for your family, I would understand people looking and saying, hey, you know, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, the Dakotas for picking a few states and saying, look at the infrastructure, look at education, look at life expectancy, look at the quality of the healthcare system, look at crime, look at all these different things and look at the countries that are equivalent when it comes to those metrics to those states. And then you look at states like Connecticut and New York and Massachusetts and Vermont and and uh, to some degree, you know, Maryland and uh, Delaware. And you say, wow, the metrics in those countries are similar to if you were to live in Norway or Sweden or a lot of the places we think are great. At a certain point, there's there's the thought of am I living in the right state for what I think is best for my family? And obviously I'm not um, uh, understating what it means to move to a different part of the country, job, housing, family, all these different things. I'm not understating it in any way, but I think it is a, an important thing just to ask oneself, am I in the right place for raising kids the way I want to raise them? And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult question to answer in, in some cases, but I think it's an important one to at least ask. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And I, you know, to, just to follow up briefly on that, you know, I've always heard, you know, the, you, know you hear the grass is always greener somewhere else, but yeah. sometimes you got to mow your lawn, right? And uh, I, you know, I, I truly think that Iowa 15 years ago was a purple state, if not progressive. Yeah. And I do, I do feel like a civic duty to stay here and to at least, you know, do what I can to vote the people who need to be in power into power right. and at least, you know, do, do as much as I can. hundred percent. I do love this area, but I am quite concerned about the direction it has gone in. And, um, you know, with a child coming on the way in the summer, you know, that, that just exacerbates all of the concerns that I have here. Yeah. And I've talked to people about this who say, Hey, you know, what I would really like is to stay where I am and achieve positive change. So it's a better place for my kid. Beautiful. I think that's fantastic. In some places, what that change would be is so lopsided and so overwhelming and your kids three, four, five, they're starting to enter the world in a certain way. I don't blame anyone for saying I'm bailing out for the good of my family. I, not everyone can afford to do it. And there's all these ifs, ands and buts, but I wouldn't blame people for doing it if that's what they decide is best for them. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your, uh, for taking the time. Appreciate it. All right, Chris from Iowa. Let's take a very quick break. We're not done with phone calls. If you're holding on to talk to me, just hang on because we're going right back to discord in a moment. If you're like me and you love the nostalgia of enjoying a bowl of cereal sometimes as an adult, check out our sponsor, Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is the breakfast cereal with the crunchy, sweet goodness you love, but with zero grams of sugar, more protein and only four to five net carbs. So it's perfect if you're doing low carb, if you're doing keto, if you're like me and you just don't want to eat a bunch of sugar. Magic Spoon has delicious flavors to choose from cocoa, fruity, frosted peanut butter, honey nut, cinnamon roll, birthday cake. My favorite is maple waffle. And right now they have limited edition spring flavors, strawberry milkshake and peaches and cream. Sometimes you just feel like sitting down with a bowl of cereal. When the mood strikes, go for something with plenty of protein without all the sugar. If you don't love Magic Spoon as much as I do and our team does, Magic Spoon will refund all of your money. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pacman, create a custom bundle. Use the code Pacman for five dollars off. That's magicspoon.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Blue Chew, a unique online service delivering the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis in a chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. And they're giving my audience an entire month's supply for free. So if you think you could benefit from an extra boost of confidence, all you have to do is take a short quiz on their website. A licensed doctor approves your prescription. The medication comes straight to your home within days in a discreet package. No driving around to the doctor's office or the pharmacy. No waiting around. No awkward conversations with your doctor. All of Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA. The entire process is just a few clicks. Go to BlueChew.com. The link is in the podcast notes, and they'll give you an entire month's supply for free when you use promo code PACMAN. That's P-A-K-M-A-N. All you do is pay $5 for shipping. Let's talk to some more people. It's Friday. After all, we take calls via discord at davidpackmancom slash discord. Why don't we go next? Later, we'll see where we go. But let's go next to Joseph from Tucson, Arizona, uh, the place in Arizona where I've spent the most time by far. Joseph, welcome to the program. What's going on? Hi, thank you, David. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. So just hypothetically speaking, yes, if Trump were to get indicted sometime this year okay. and Trump supporters were to violently um, riot in response, yes, would that hurt Republicans in 2024? It's an interesting question. Um, I think the answer depends on who's the nominee, right? If Trump is indicted and his supporters riot, and Trump doesn't denounce it and he is the nominee, I think that that hurts Trump. If Trump gets indicted and his supporters riot and Trump either drops out or loses the nomination, I think that whoever is the eventual nominee probably isn't affected negatively by these hypothetical Trump riots you're talking about. So I think that it depends on who is the nominee. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, I was kind of thinking along similar lines um, where it definitely would hurt Trump um, kind of um, in either way, kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and deservedly so, I'd probably say. What do you mean um, by that? Damned if he does? You're saying whether or not he denounces or what do you mean? I think either way, he definitely would face a lot of backlash, um, obviously from the left. But I think in a lot of pockets of the right, um, if a combination of a Trump indictment and violent riots were to occur, I think a lot of the smaller pockets of the right who um, are more quiet about their disdain for Trump would be a lot louder. And Uh. I think uh, would gain a lot more support um, because of such um, uh, a violent occurrence. That very well may be. That very well may be. Let's hope there is no such violence. Uh, that would be the best thing. Yeah, um, that, that, would, that would obviously be the best um, the best course of action. Um, and as a kind of unrelated uh, side question, sure. um, I was wondering if you, if you had any uh, book recommendations related to U.S. foreign policy. Uh, I really don't. I tend not to read uh, sort of like new foreign policy type books. I have so many other things on my on my pile, including science and narrative nonfiction and history and different things. I I just don't I'm not really reading in that genre right now, so I I don't have any recommendations. Okay, that's fine. All right. Thank you for taking my call. All right, Joseph from Tucson. Great to hear from you. Let's go next to Jack from Pennsylvania. Jack from Pennsylvania. Welcome. What's on your mind today? Hello, David. First time caller here. Um, Just a quick hypothetical question for you. Um, Well, I think I first want to start off like a set of like a scenario here. Um, Well, first, actually, do you think it's possible um, that if either two parties grow more divided between like Democrats, for example, the progressive and the moderate camp and the the Republicans, the modern, the MAGA camp, do you think it's possible to see like something like a, like what happens in a Whig party in the 1800s where like the entire party collapses or like the um, it like splits up into two other parties? I, I do think it is possible, but the very entrenched system we have for the major parties, including uh, financing and commission on presidential debates and all of these other status quo entrenchments that we have would make it much more difficult to see what happened to the Whig party. It's possible, but I don't see it as likely. Okay, and then I guess like uh, for follow up on that question, if it does happen to one of the other parties, let's say that there are like MAGAs and they say like the Republican Party like collapses, do you think it would be smart for the progress for the progressive uh, caucus in the Democratic Party? Hello. All right. We lost Jack. Jack was getting to some follow up, but we lost him with a very strange digital noise right at that moment. Let's go next to Edward from Colorado. Edward from Colorado. Welcome to the program. Uh, What's on your mind today? Hi there, David. Can you hear me Okay. Yes, I can. Okay, so I had a question. A potential. Do some presidential candidates. You're you're cutting in and out, Edward. You said you had a question about presidential candidates. About a potential Gavin Newsom candidacy. Oh, okay. Go ahead. So, I guess with him, do you feel like uh, like the severity of California's COVID lockdowns? 
would kind of thing. Oh my God, Edward, you're cutting in and out. Would the severity of the lockdowns do what? Do you think it would be a substantive enough criticism that it would hurt him substantially electorally? No, I don't. All right, Edward, the the connection is atrocious, so I'm going to let you go. It's just it's very, 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 very bad. Let's go next to Bert from New Jersey. Bert from New Jersey, welcome. Please save us. Let's hope your connection is better than the last two have been. Hey, David, how's my connection? It's beautiful so far. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for uh, picking on me. Pleasure. Um, Here's here's my question. Uh, When people criticize Biden. Yes. uh, From the from the right, typically. Right. First thing they talk about is inflation. This is Biden's economy, Biden's inflation, Biden inflation. Right. right? Um, The very nature of how inflation occurs is you increase the money supply. Right. So Trump in four years increased the money supply more than any U.S. president in the history of our country. In a four-year span, right. right? So my my question is, um, why don't people call that out? Where okay, you're you're against inflation. Well, how are you for Trump then? That, that conversation. Well, never increasing the that. money supply, depending on how it's done and for what purposes, can have an inflationary effect. It is not a guarantee that it does. So I think at least we on the left want to be a little more. Uh, precise with with that and tactical in terms of when when we when we bring it up. But you're right that at least as far as the right is concerned, that is true. And listen, this is not new ground in the sense that I've said before, when Republicans say that Biden's covid stimulus caused inflation, Trump did two of the stimuluses or stimuli as well as PPP, which became a fraudulent slush fund. So the I think the, the way I would approach it is Aside from debating the money supply issue, if you blame Biden, you have to blame Trump at least two times more because he did two of the covid stimulus packages. And of course, they don't because they don't actually care or know. It's just about what can I get away with saying and who can I criticize who's on the left? Right. Maybe money supply is not the right word. What I'm really getting at is deficits, right? Trump had an eight trillion dollar budget deficit in four years, right? That gets funded not through borrowing money, not through raising taxes, through just creating money supply, right? That alone has a huge catastrophic effect on inflation. It's no coincidence it started when Trump is leaving. Yeah, right? I, I think that the you know their modern monetary theorists disagree with that premise and are working hard to explain to us that that's not actually the case. Let where I will leave it is. You're absolutely right in assessing the conventional wisdom around a lot of these issues. And Republicans are complete hypocrites in their ignoring of it as it pertains to Trump. hundred percent right on that. Right. right. It's like, it's like you can't be a New York Giants and a Philadelphia Eagles fan at the same time. It's like, I guess on. not. I guess not. That sounds oh. tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bert. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you, David. All right. There is Bert from Jersey. Great to hear from you. Uh, why don't we go next to a treaties from Boston, a treaties from Boston? Welcome. What's going on? Hey, David. So I had a question about Florida. OK. OK, so um, it's no secret that, I mean, DeSantis won by the highest uh, gubernatorial margin in Florida history. I think it was one point five million votes. And in his four years uh, of um, in elected office, he's especially in the last couple of years, been basically drunk with power, you know, with the don't say gay bill, yep. uh, the gerrymandering, 
a whole list of things. And just recently you talked about how he wanted to, um, or at least his state Senate wanted to ban the democratic party from Florida. Yep. How, um, um, he wanted to ban journalists from criticizing him. In fact, I was just listening to your colleague, Farron Cousins, last night, saying that he, who lives in Florida, is considering moving because of this. Um, I basically wanted to ask the broad question, uh, is Florida beyond saving at this point, or do you think the pendulum is going to swing back at some point? No, I wouldn't say Florida is beyond saving, because what you have to remember is that the number of Democrats in Florida is insanely high as a result of the fact that Florida's population is so uh, large. And although that margin certainly was was a record record for for the governor's race, um, I would not in any way think about abandoning Florida. I think Florida is a project where it has certainly started to lean more red than it was, you know, in the Bush era, for example. Um, but mm-hmm. that I would I would be I think it would be a disastrous idea for Democrats to abandon it. I think it's a great um, opportunity. The pendulum does often swing back. And uh, I mean, listen, if DeSantis became president, it could create a vacuum in Florida that could actually be really good for Democrats. I think it would be a very bad idea to say we're not we're not thinking about Florida anymore. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same uh, boat as you. I just I hear a lot of talk of it's time to let Florida go. No, uh, no, no. in the same way, like in the, yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, I mean, it has, from what I understand, the fourth highest LGBT population. Uh, it's a state that Obama won twice. Yep. It has very high person of uh, person of color uh, population. So yeah, I agree with you that it's not beyond saving. I just think there's there's definitely a lot of panic among the left. Uh, yeah, what to do in Florida? Let's not panic and let's keep working because I think it's a it would be a huge mistake to give it up. Uh, Atreides from Boston. Great to hear from you today. I do appreciate it very much. Let's see if we can speak to Daryl from Texas. Is that the right way to say it, Daryl? Yes, yes, it's Daryl. Uh, like, hi, David. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's my first time calling on the show. I've been watching your show for a while. Kind of nervous, but okay, you're doing great uh, so far. What's on your mind? Okay, so I just saw this clip from MSNBC where, like, Mondaire Jones basically talked about how Democrats should be happy that Trump has like a stranglehold over the GOP and that Trump has a real shot of like winning of like winning the like, like the GOP nomination. Yeah. And like my question to you would be like should Democrats like 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 should Democrats have that attitude of like, oh, oh, we should we should want Trump to be the GOP nominee because he'd be easier to be in the general. I just talked Democrats about this with more? Adam Schiff earlier yeah. this week. Adam, I, I lean you. more I'm more sympathetic to what you're saying. Because mm-hmm. I think Trump would be easier to beat and also would be less disastrous if he were president because DeSantis would get more done. But I still see Trump as having a really good shot of winning in 24. Uh, Adam Schiff disagreed with me. I, I think it, it's really a matter of opinion. I don't think there's like an objectively right answer on this issue because we're estimating, we're making a prediction as to what Trump would do if he were president four more years from age 78 to 82 or whatever it would be. Right. We're, we're, we're being forced to say what would happen. And based on what we think would happen, what's better? So it's a matter of opinion. But I am sympathetic to the idea that it is better for Democrats to run against Trump. I could be wrong. We're not going to know uh, at, at minimum. We're not going to know until it happens and it may not happen. 
Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yes. I just thought it was interesting to mention because I remember during 2016, like the Hillary campaign, Yep. I believe they tried like doing like the Pied Piper strategy where they where like like they wanted to uh, push Trump to be the nominee with the expectation that Trump is easier to beat. But right. we all saw what it backfired. So, it backfired. So, no, you're right. And that's something so, I've brought up yeah, as well. So, yeah, so yeah, I just I'm just worried that that, that Democrats like they, like they could get complacent, you know, and potentially botch it again, like 2016. Well, but, that's the biggest still, and most yeah. important thing, which is no matter who is the eventual Republican nominee, Democrats can always find a way to screw it up, and that's what should really scare us. Yes, got you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, that's my question. I just thought it was interesting to bring up. Uh, All right. Thank you for. Protocol. Thank you, Daryl from Texas. Great to hear from you. Let's go to a break. That does it for calls today. I will take calls again, and I hope to be able to speak to you next time. I like wine, but I know very little about it, and I am completely clueless when I go to a wine shop. I just don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what I'm looking at. I couldn't tell you anything about varietals or if there's hints of persimmon or any of it. And so if you're like me wishing you had a seasoned expert by your side when you're choosing wine, crunchy red fruit is the answer. Crunchy red fruit delivers choice, handcrafted, small production wines right to your door. Every bottle is handpicked by owner and master sommelier Jackson Rohrbaugh in Seattle and comes with food pairing suggestions. We've been chatting with Jackson. His curating puts an emphasis on organic Low intervention wines, wines without artificial yeasts or chemicals, crunchy red fruit sources from small scale, sustainable vineyards and only wines that are true to their location and grape crunchy red fruits bi monthly wine club is called the circle. Every two months, you'll get three or six bottles to enjoy with videos to help you appreciate what you're drinking. Go to crunchyredfruit.com. Use the code Pacman for $20 off a single purchase or if you join their bimonthly wine club, send a message to circle at crunchyredfruit.com after you sign up and they'll take $20 off your first shipment. That's crunchyredfruit.com. Use code Pacman for $20 off a single purchase or sign up for their bimonthly club and email circle at crunchyredfruit.com for $20 off. The info is in the podcast notes. Let's go to the Friday feedback. Someone wrote to me and said, David, instead of feedback Friday or Friday feedback, you should call it the feed bag like a horse that eats out of a bag. I don't know. Listen, folks, I'm going to go over some messages that I received from people. Uh, Significant reaction to the anti trans explosion from CPAC over the weekend. One message I received very much representative of others. Kyle said, what about all the rights the drag and trans community is trying to take from all other people? So. I don't know what the hell Kyle's talking about, and I've heard this before, that the people's rights are being taken by the the drag and trans community since drag and trans are two different things. Let's maybe see if we can think that through. I can't even think of any bad arguments that the drag community is taking anybody's rights. I know the right might might say, well, they're taking away parents rights not to be around drag queens. They're really not. 
And when you look at the details of all of these drag time story hours and whatever, parents are bringing their kids to them. So I don't understand how anybody's losing a right there. If anything, parents are continuing to have the right to say, here's what I want to show my kid or here's what I don't want to show my kid. Now, as far as the trans community, I think the argument they love to make is if I, quote, have to call someone by a certain pronoun, then I've lost my right of free speech. But of course, that's not really the case. What we're talking about here is decorum. There are situations where states might have a law, for example, with regard to being able to change your driver's license or at work, changing your employee uh, file if you've transitioned. But these things don't really have anything to do with rights. And it's sort of like if you're just out in the world and you don't want to use someone's preferred pronouns, it's not a question of rights. It's just a question of decorum and politeness, the same way that you could choose to use racist words around people. It's not a matter of rights. It's a matter of how are you going to treat others? So as usual, they talk about free speech when it's not a free speech issue. They talk about rights when it's not a rights issue. Okay, Um, a lot of people don't like my analyses and coverage of Trump speeches and rallies. Laura wrote to me and said, you're horrible. It's the wrong. You're required. It's the wrong. You're you're horrible making from of Trump. I assume I assume Laura means making fun of Trump. You're horrible. My horrible making from of Trump the best ever. Get a life and find another job. You aren't funny. Fact worthless, she adds. My favorite thing I have to I I know that this some people don't like this. My favorite thing is when people hate that this is my job and it's a great job to have with tons of great benefits and perks and the ability to communicate with great people every day and build a community. So you know what, Laura, I think I'm going to keep my job. And if you don't like my thoughts about Trump's speeches, you don't have to watch. Cooper left a comment. You're free. Again, it's the wrong. You're guys. You're free. Why? Oh, you are free to do whatever you want as long as you're prepared. Wrong. You're to suffer the consequences. So keep on doing drag shows for kids and you'll eventually get what's coming to you. Is this a threat of violence against the drag performers? Because who's doing the drag shows? the drag performers and and what on earth could possibly be coming to them? They're not doing anything wrong. Everybody's fine. I was thinking the other day talking with a friend of mine, you know, when my daughter is at whatever age she might find any, any of this entertaining, would there be anything damaging if she saw a drag performer? And I really couldn't think of anything. It's just like what? How would that even rank? What, how would that be anything to even be remotely concerned about? So I don't know what the consequences are going to be, and I don't even know what Cooper says the consequences are to the people seeing the drag shows. It's all wild. Abortion, still an issue for many in our audience. David wrote in, left a comment and said, what young people don't understand is you will reach out to God on your deathbed. How will you explain your stance on abortion or the abortions you had? You will reach for hope no matter what. 
in the end. David, I'm ready to make a promise to you today. I am never, never, never going to feel the need to explain to anyone the abortions I've had because I'm not going to be having any. But this is a really common guilt thing. This is a big I would say this is a really Christian thing. Now, many Christians would say that's not that's not the spirit of Christianity. What I mean is a lot of evangelical Christians will fear monger in this way, which is when the time comes for your ultimate judgment here on Earth. You're going to repent for what you did if you chose to have an abortion. Um, These folks need to move on from something uh, to something other than fear, except the fear works really well. That's why they keep at it. Uh, Many people not liking my uh, Bill Maher criticisms lately. Sammy wrote in and said, bro, bro, you could do better than attacking Bill Maher. If you don't see wokeness as a problem, you're not looking hard enough. Well, remember, even Bill Maher couldn't define wokeness. He was given the opportunity by Jake Tapper on CNN. What do you mean by woke? And he said something about Abraham Lincoln. Okay, Uh, if they want to actually explain what they mean by woke, then I'm glad to engage with it in in that way. But um, seeing wokeness as a problem, I don't even know what you mean by woke. And most of them don't even know what they mean. That's been something we've looked at a number of times. David says The populist left is no better than the populist right. One tends to lead to actual communism and the other tends to lead to actual fascism. Unfortunately, the more centrist positions require a lot more work to maintain. The leaders of either side have to work harder to craft something meaningful that the voters will respond to consistently. And the voters themselves must work harder to stay accurately informed about the issues. But that, in essence, is also the key to a functioning democracy. Best of luck to us, but the big picture going forward isn't very promising. Listen, I I don't know about populist left leads to actual communism. I'm not sure about that. But what I will tell you is I have called out populist rhetoric on the left and right for a very long time. What's my main gripe with populism? It's that populism is not a policy platform or a set of policy ideas. Populism is a rhetoric. And as a rhetoric, it can be used to bamboozle people into all sorts of bad policy. The example I've used before is, you know, both Bernie and Tucker will use populist sounding rhetoric about the abandoned middle class. Sounds very similar. Tucker's proposal, though, is we need to do something about Black Lives Matter, who will take your house and brown immigrants who will take your job. Right. That. Tucker uses the rhetoric to suggest those as policies. And so I've said for a long time, we've got to be really careful about populist rhetoric. Populism, it's not really a set of policy ideas, but it is a rhetoric and it can be used in a lot of uh, horrible ways. Joseph left a comment on Facebook about the loyalty pledge that Donald Trump is being asked to sign. Joseph says Trump could very well sign the pledge. He would want to be on the debate. He wants the attention. If he doesn't end up the Republican candidate, I think he would claim the process was rigged in some way. I think he's determined to be on the ballot, whether as the Republican candidate or as an independent. If he becomes an independent candidate on the ballot and he comes in third, 
I think everyone would finally turn against him. Even the MAGA freaks will turn their backs on him. If that happens, maybe Trump will finally fade away. Yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, guys, he's 76. He'll be 78 ish at the time of the election. I think that if Trump doesn't win the nomination uh, and or doesn't find a way to win the presidential election, his political career is over. And I know, you know, a lot of people insist, oh, Bernie should run again or whatever. Bernie Bernie's done with running for president. I would bet money on that. Um, And uh, otherwise, I think Joseph is absolutely right. Trump will do what he needs to do to get on the stage. And then that is that bill posted to the subreddit and says, I don't know if this is a touchy, touchy subject in here or not, but what in the heck is David doing with his mustache? He's my favorite media personality, but this is getting out of control. He looks like a teenage dirtbag. It's very off putting. Is he trolling somebody? I don't understand. It's awful. He's a very handsome guy when he's clean shaven, but it's clear whatever he's doing with his facial hair is 100 percent deliberate. So I'm utterly perplexed by his choice. I'm sorry, David, but it's one of the worst mustaches I've ever seen. It looks terrible. I love this. And I also love only two thirds of the of the audience agrees with this take. One third does not. Folks, this is satirical facial hair satirical. Okay. I've even got a mullet going. It's just a joke. It's satire. Now I've got the goatee. I'm getting a haircut in a couple days. We're, we're going to reboot everything. Just relax. I'm glad it provides entertainment, but it's really not worth getting so worked up about. But an absolutely genius. If if the message, what I'm wondering is, is this message satire as well? It's uh. It's awful. One of the worst mustaches I've ever seen. I love it. All right. And then Vindo Piper via Reddit says, David, don't feed the trolls with recurring segments about stupid YouTube comments or emails. It seems to me that David is forgetting a cardinal rule of interacting online. Don't feed the trolls. Don't let them know that their idiotic waffle bothers you. Don't engage at all. When you read out their ridiculous nonsense and complain about the grammar, you're signaling they can reach you and it affects you enough to feature in the show. Don't over explain. You don't need to preempt criticisms like you just want war with Russia or you're a communist. Adapting your viewpoint points to anticipate the BS only encourages more with affection from a longtime viewer. Ignore the wing nuts. Don't give them any time or consideration. End of rant. Yeah, I mean, listen. I don't agree with this 100 percent. I agree with it 90 percent. That's why when we do the Friday feedback segment or whatever, um, it's just we feature a small sample of the unhinged attacks and mostly try to try to focus on productive discussions. I do think that if we pretend that they don't exist, we fall into an echo chamber Um, and I don't think that that's good. So I think they should be featured in a limited manner, handled appropriately. Uh, and in that sense, I think it's productive and a, a healthy thing rather than creating yet another echo chamber. All right. Send in your thoughts. Info at davidpackman.com. Leave a YouTube comment, post a tweet, whatever might be featured here. Uh, make sure that you're signed up to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the David Pacman show. And remember to sign up for a membership at joinpacman.com. It's the number one funding source for the David Pacman show. Joinpacman.com coupon code. Please no more Trump. That's the code. 
please no more Trump. I'll see you on the bonus show.